Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Coronapod. In this show, we're going to bring you nature's take on the latest COVID-19 developments. And we'll be speaking to experts around the world about research during the pandemic. We're entering a new era now. We have new COVID strategies. There's some new unknowns and we've got a vaccine. Hello and welcome to Coronapod. I'm Noah Baker and joining me is the favourite of Coronapod back after a period of time not on the show. It's Amy Maxman. Amy, how are you? Hi, thanks for that nice introduction. I've missed you. I've missed Coronapod. Absolutely. How have you been over the last several months? Because it's been a while since you've been on the show. Yeah, I mean, I've been okay. I've been hanging in there. I'm healthy. And so I'm thankful for that. I was just thinking, you know, we're about to talk about this story. And I have felt I have to admit, I've felt like I shouldn't complain because everything in my life is is fine. But I have felt a little bit sort of mucky. It's sort of, you know, there's there's not a lot of like super fun things these days, really, with this pandemic that seems to keep dragging on. But this story breathed a little bit of life into me just because it's exciting. So on a personal level, I kind of I needed this this piece. Yeah, totally. I have to say when I first saw this headline coming up or first heard you mentioning it in meetings, it got me excited as well. And it's actually I guess it's kind of a follow on from a previous Coronapod we've done, which was all about vaccine manufacturing. And this is about a company in South Africa that has essentially copied Moderna's vaccine. Tell us why was this a story and why is it making you happy? Yeah, it was really exciting because I've been reporting on these vast inequities around the world with vaccines. And it's it's just it's beyond depressing that we're entering year three of the pandemic and the U.S. is flushed with vaccines, you know, boosters for, you know, pretty much all adults if you want them. Plus, there's excess. They're being stockpiled. Why no doses have expired. And meanwhile, only 10 percent of people in low income countries are fully vaccinated. So that's pretty disgusting. And I know a lot of countries are just fed up with hoping that eventually companies will send them vaccines, you know, and that includes vaccines they've purchased. It includes vaccines through COVAX. 
and it includes, you know, donations. So this trickle-down model is clearly not working, and there's been a lot of push for more manufacturing. So I was excited because for two reasons. One, this is actually moving forward with manufacturing, and also it's a bit daring. You know, this is part of the WHO's technology transfer hub. It's daring of groups to say, okay, companies that have manufactured or made the vaccines are not going to give us their patents or teach us how to make them. Well, we're going to try and do it anyways. Absolutely. And we'll get to the fact that it feels like a real baller move, if I'm honest, to sort of take on Moderna and say, well, I don't care, I'm going to make your vaccine anyway. It's not quite as intense as that sounds, but it's still a bold move for them to do this. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other reason why I kind of like it, I have to admit, is because when I'm reporting this, the pharmaceutical industry, you know, we've heard CEOs from some of the top companies as well as industry groups from bio, for example, the biotechnology industry organization saying, you know, this is just too complicated for countries in the developing world to make. This lipid nanoparticle is too complicated. These processes, they couldn't possibly be done elsewhere. And this, you know, they haven't done all of the analyses, but this suggests that's just not really true. Yeah, I can't help but see it as a bit of a middle finger up to all the naysayers that said they couldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of is. Maybe that's why I like it. (laughs) Okay. um, I want to ask you about how you go ahead and try to copy a vaccine, essentially, like what's involved with that. But can you give us a bit of background first on, on the need to do this, I suppose? We've discussed things like the UN patent pool and various other ways in which other companies can try to license vaccines and so on and the difficulties around that like I I think it's useful to get a sense of the context of where we are with that kind of discussion about licensing or sharing patents. Yeah so a little bit of background Um, there had been a push to waive the intellectual property rights on COVID vaccines at the World Trade Organization. The U.S. backed a proposal that was from South Africa and India. There are still some countries in opposition, namely the European Union. I think the U.K. is still against it as well. So that has not gone forward. You know, but in addition to the IP, there also had to be a transfer of knowledge, like how to actually do it. So there was these two sort of barriers in the way. Besides just waiving IP, there's other ways to expand manufacturing, and that would be to partner with other companies that already manufacture vaccines. And Moderna, Pfizer, and BioNTech have done that a little bit, but as far as like on the African continent, they really hadn't done that with other companies where those companies actually manufacture the vaccine. They have some deals where kind of the very finishing touch, putting the vaccine into bottles. They've done that part, but they still are in control. And the example of how that can go wrong is that Johnson & Johnson paired with Aspen, a company in South Africa, to bottle its vaccines. But then reports came out showing that those vaccines were being shipped to Europe after being produced in South Africa, even though South Africa was vastly under-vaccinated. And that's because Johnson & Johnson still had control. Right, absolutely. So what we're talking about here is vaccine manufacturers and biotech companies in Africa creating the entire vaccine themselves. So the active ingredients, packaging, everything. And that's the thing that's difficult to do. But it's something that now we have a company that has managed it, at least in very small doses. Tell us what the story was. Okay, so the WHO had decided last year they're going to have this mRNA technology transfer hub. The idea being not only would companies there produce mRNA COVID vaccines, but also teach companies from countries in the global south how to do it. So it would also be a kind of transfer of knowledge at this hub. 
They asked Moderna, Pfizer, BioNTech to participate. Those companies declined. And so they decided to try and replicate Moderna's vaccine. They made that decision because for a few reasons. One of them is that a lot of the information on how Moderna made their vaccine is in the public domain. So, you know, this can include the foundational research that was done outside of Moderna. For example, the sequence that this mRNA is based on is in the public domain because, you know, it was put there from researchers at Stanford. So one was there was more information already out there. And number two, Moderna said they will not enforce their patents during the pandemic. They've put that out publicly. So that's another reason. But let's talk more about the patent sort of issues maybe later. In any case, that's why they decided to go for Moderna's vaccine. And so they want to recreate this vaccine how do you go about doing that? You mentioned that the sequence was in the public domain, but you need more than just a sequence in order to make a vaccine. What are the steps that these companies have had to go through? Yeah. So one is they started working with other researchers in South Africa. There's a group at the University of Witz in Johannesburg. And those researchers took that sequence and then they have to synthesize the mRNA making it. So they are very experienced themselves at this university. Synthesizing mRNA is not new. And what I heard from them is that the main holdup was like waiting on reagents. But they were able to do it in about 10 weeks, including the time it took to ship reagents and so forth. At the same time, once the news came out around October, November, when the news came out that these groups in South Africa were going to be trying to replicate Moderna's vaccine, what people told me from Afrogen, one of the companies that's involved, the main company that's involved, which is in Cape Town, they were just flooded with emails of, from researchers around the world, from Australia, uh, from the Ukraine, from Europe from the US. I heard that you know some of the people who were involved, very closely involved with uh, the foundational research at the National Institutes of Health also reached out and, you know, would do long video calls to advise them on various steps and various tricky points of the process. They were just stunned by how many emails they got. I also heard that I guess Moderna does some sort of they put out uh, some sort of like webinars now and then where they give presentations and let me just say there's a few groups involved in South Africa. Their researchers that are there along with other researchers, would sit in on those. And maybe for you and I, a lot of it might be over our head. But from that, they could glean little tips on what they might need to do to make this vaccine. So they would watch those, take notes, send those notes in. Um, it really was a, you know, a collaborative effort. It's, I mean, it's such a uplifting kind of concept that scientists around the world hear that there's this kind of, I mean, in the narrative in my head, it's this small underdog that's trying to right a wrong or create uh, this vaccine. And then there's all these people that hear about it and want to help out in all these various different ways to send all these tips. And so they got to the point that they've created the mRNA, but that's just the first step. What, what happens next? So then they send their precious parcel of synthesized mRNA over to Cape Town from Johannesburg, and that's where it goes to Afrogen. And at Afrogen, the next steps, you know, there's a few other steps, and it sort of ends with packaging this in a lipid nanoparticle. Now, this is the step that I think, you know, if you had listened to various pharmaceutical industry voices, this is the step that, you know, 
could not be done elsewhere. It's extremely difficult. And it does, to be fair, it is hard. And, you know, I want to make sure to say this was not simple. They did need to get the right kind of equipment. But once they got it, in early January, they were able to package the mRNA in this lipid nanoparticle. And that's, you know, what delivers the mRNA. That's what, you know, kind of ensures the body's not going to reject it. At this point when I talked to them, I should say their lipid nanoparticle was not exactly the same lipid mixture that Moderna used. They were waiting for one other analytical tool to kind of make sure they reproduced Moderna's vaccine more closely with the right lipid nanoparticle. That should happen this week or next week. But the point is, they completed the process from the very beginning of looking at just a sequence online to producing mRNA packaged in a lipid nanoparticle that they want to be close to Moderna's. As it stands, they have not made very much. What are their plans next? You know, they need to be able to scale this up, but will it be this vaccine they scale up? What, what, what happens next? So what happens next is they need to make, right now they have literally microliters. It's in a, you know, it's in a small vial in their ultra cold freezer. So they need to make some more. They also need to do a lot of Uh, analytics to make sure that all of the properties, you know, the charge on the lipid nanoparticle, that all of the properties of this are what they want them to be. So there's a lot of analysis. And then they're going to do a few things. One of them is in the coming month, they're going to decide other companies that will take this forward. There's already one that Afrogen is working with within South Africa, and that's a company called BioVac. That's a bigger man. So th- this is already, this is a plant that's able to produce more than Afrogen can. So they'll sort of hand it off to them. And they'll also work with companies in other countries. For example, I think they've already talked about Brazil and, and Argentina. So they hand off sort of their knowledge to make this vaccine. These groups will actually come and learn at Afrogen itself. And then all of the companies will try and make more of this product. At that point, then you do your like preclinical work. You know, if it's the same thing analytically, does it do the same thing in mice that you want it to? And the aim is that in November, they'll be ready for phase one in people to make sure that it's safe. Right. I was going to ask about that because phase one in people to make sure it's safe. I understand that phase two I can get. But phase three trials right now are hard to do. How do you get a new vaccine, even if it's a copy of an old one, through to market, I suppose, at this point in the pandemic? Right. So phase one would be November, you know, and maybe a phase two. This is sort of looking at correlates of protection or something, you know, some suggestion of efficacy. The reason why. And so now we're talking about 2023. This is a bit open now. Number one is we can talk about this maybe on another coronapod, but doing a phase three at this point in time in the pandemic is extremely complicated because people are vaccinated, people are infected. It's a, it's a very complicated area. But even then, this could play out a few ways. Let's say at this point it's made it successfully through phase one. In one world, maybe they're going to try and plug ahead with seeing if they could make enough of this Moderna-like vaccine to distribute it to populations. To do that would be costly and take a lot of effort. There's also IP around manufacturing because there was real innovation that took place as far as scaling up the vaccines. And for that, they're going to want to rely on more than, say, a promise from Moderna that it's not going to enforce its patents during the pandemic. Who's to say who says when the pandemic ends? This isn't like a contract. It's just sort of a, a promise that was made. So at that point, and I want to be really clear here, because the medicines patent pool, which we've talked before, they're one of the people leading this project. They have zero interest in infringing on Moderna's patents. 
They do not want to violate the law. That would lead to lawsuits. And as somebody from the medicines patent pool told me, that would be organizational suicide. Right now, they're absolutely not infringing on patents, even if Moderna hadn't made that promise because it's pure research right now. It is not going into people's arms. This is not on the market. Once it gets to the point where it would be ready for market, so I'm talking, you know, beyond phase one, that's where there's going to be some tough questions. So at that point, maybe Moderna will more formally license their patents out to groups that can already make it. That's one world. Or they completely refuse. That's going to be pretty tough. The hope is maybe there'll be next generation mRNA vaccines that these groups can produce instead, and then they can use the Moderna-like vaccines they've made to compare them to the next generation mRNA vaccines. Right. So essentially the vaccine that they've made now that they've copied from Moderna, that they're going to try to scale up, you then either find a way to legally sell that around the world because of a patent sharing situation, or perhaps because the WTO have come to some kind of um, IP waiver situation by that point in time. And so that changes the game as well. Or you use this work you've done as a foundation to generate a second generation mRNA vaccine. And you're in a much better position as a biotech company to do that with all that experience under your belt copying the Moderna vaccine. Exactly. It is very exciting. It strikes me that this is still a long way off and we still need vaccines right now. What's the mood of the researchers you're speaking to at these various African companies that are moving forward with this? Yeah. So, you know, what I found from my reporting, when I talked to global health researchers you know, especially those who are based in the West, they often, they're happy, but it's super bittersweet. Isn't it sad that they have to recreate this whole thing from scratch because these companies refuse to license out their vaccine? So they see that it's, it is a bit sad because like you said, this is 100% not going to make a difference this year. This is not going to help vaccinate anybody this year and maybe not next year. So they feel like it's, it's cool. It's a little bit depressing. But I should say when I talk to, especially, and I have noticed this, all of my sources who are African seem to be really excited about this because they are so tired of the dependency on uh, rich countries for donations or for the dependency and that they're sort of in the back of the line when they're even trying to buy doses from companies that are based in the West. They really want self-sufficiency. 99% of the vaccines that are used in Africa are not produced in Africa. So they're excited about this effort because of what it means in five years from now or 10 years from now. Yeah, absolutely. What it means for, you know, polio vaccines or what it means for meningitis vaccines or any other vaccine that exists, if they can develop this kind of capacity to domestically make vaccines, it opens up a whole new world, I suppose, for, 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 for African vaccine manufacture. Exactly. And along those lines, you know, there's discussion now about opening, you know, trying to make more training opportunities to take researchers who are already, you know, talented at biotech, but teach how to work in pharmaceutical plants that make vaccines and to strengthen regulatory agencies so that they can approve vaccines. So there has to be a whole ecosystem there, but there's talk about building it now. And they have some financial support. Absolutely. Where is the financial support coming from? I mean, is it coming from African nations? Is it coming from elsewhere? So the latest efforts for the hub, I know they've gotten some bilateral funds from some European nations, like I've heard France, Germany, I saw Canada. There's also support, I think, in the works from the World Bank and the African Development Bank for this wider ecosystem stuff. 
And there's also, I know I spoke to a billionaire in California recently who's also interested in the effort. So, you know, this is something that is under active discussion. Wow. Okay. We're going to be watching this really, really closely moving forward. And as we've alluded to, there are certainly going to be lots of steps to follow in this journey. But in the meantime, I'm going to smile at this effort of the underdog. I don't know whether it's just the British in me that loves an underdog, but it's something that's going to brighten my day moving forward. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's so fun to be on Coronapod again. My life is so much emptier without it. (laughs) A quick note from me at the end here. Next week, there won't be a Coronapod. From now on, we're going to move to publishing Coronapod fortnightly. That's every two weeks for people that don't use that particular Britishism. Now, that doesn't mean this is forever. And if there's a big story coming up, I will do my very best to insert extra episodes here and there. And in the meantime, we always love to hear from you. Things you want to hear about, questions you have, comments. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Nature Podcast or an email podcast at nature.com. I look forward to hearing from you and I'll see you in two weeks. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.